Mushroom, this is some of my best work. I'm music and culture journalist Jane Rocker. In this episode, Alex Gow, who you might know from his band Oh Mercy or his new project Perfect Moment, has chosen the song Lady Eucalyptus as some of his best work. It's taken from his acclaimed album When We Talk About Love and was released in 2015. Here we go. At the outset, it's worth mentioning a few things. Alex played all the instruments except the strings on this song. He's got a reverence for 1960s American music and likes to work fast, often no more than three takes that's a song a day in the studio kind of fast. The album When We Talk About Love also won an aria for Best Adult Contemporary in 2015 and as Alex says, the album was built around this song that he'd written years earlier while in the United States. While we're here, it's apt to plug his latest musical project, Perfect Moment, with a debut album that's out now. And if you're at all interested in songwriting or enjoy an interview with Bernard Fanning, Sarah Blasco, Alice Skye, Johnny Took or Paul Kelly, you'll like Alex's podcast, One Guitar. During the lockdowns of 2020, Alex sent the same guitar to some of Australia's best singer-songwriters and tasked them with writing a new song in just four weeks. In the podcast, you hear the song they've created and the story of how they wrote it, all tactfully egged along by Alex. Check out One Guitar where you're listening now. But for now, let's get to it. Lady Eucalyptus by Alex Gow on some of my best work. Can you tell me a little about the song, Lady Eucalyptus, and why it's some of your best work? I could give you a window, but I don't actually remember writing it. It was after my second record, which is called um, Great Barrier Grief, and prior to my third one, which is called Deep Heat. Mainly I was listening to The Velvet Underground and The Clash to inform the Deep Heat record, and I was writing demos for it. And I wrote this song as part of the demos for, for that record, and try desperately to make it fit on that record but deep heat its dna was of of the clash and um i suppose the velvet underground um it was really bombastic and colorful and this song is gentle Mm -hmm. so um i tried to make it fit and i did a few different versions of it in in the style of that deep heat record you know i went i suppose i went style over substance and it it eclipsed the song I mean, the entire record, Deep Heat, is full of songs that eclipse the song, and that was precisely mm-hmm. the point. But this one demanded to be heard. It didn't want to be treated like that. Yeah, the Deep Heat version sucked. Yep. <laughs> so I didn't make the record. Yep. But stuck around mm-hmm. when I made the one after that, which was called When We Talk About Love. And in hindsight, I probably made a record that would fit this song because yep. it had lasted the test of time and I, I wanted to record it. Yes. And so I was like, well, this time... I'll build the record around the song. I guess as a songwriter, you're always writing because love is such a big theme on this record that this song comes from. Is that 
the memory connection that fades because it's something so deeply personal that it's hard to remember an exact time that you wrote it? I'd like to be able to tell you that that was the case. It might be the case. I probably would err on the side of I was writing a lot and this was just another song that I wrote and it lasted the test of time for me. So I can tell you that where my head was at, um, the Deep Heat record was on the horizon and I was in America, probably been over there a half dozen times, maybe a little more, and um, especially around that time of my career, doing kind of, what do they call them, showcase shows, you know, pressing flesh, that kind of... Well, I was receiving a lot of cards, but I didn't give out any because I didn't have any. In fact, I gave out a couple of, like, cafe membership cards instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember being at Glassell Park, which is like a, a suburb in L.A., and I was at the public swimming pool. I was into swimming at that point in my life. I had to teach myself how to swim as an adult because I learned as a kid, like, I don't want you to lock up my parents, but I didn't practice a lot after and kind of basically forgot. So I was doing a lot of swimming at the Fitzroy swimming pool. And then when I arrived in LA, I went, went straight for, for Glassell Park swimming pool. And, and while I was doing my laps, I noticed that the, the floor of the pool was littered in eucalyptus leaves because someone planted a bunch of eucalyptus leaves in, in California at mm. some stage, right? Mm. Which is a terrible idea because they found out, as we know, that they love to burn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyhow, um, and I was struck that by the fact that I was on the other side of the world, but I had the same view as I would at Fitzroy Pool, which is the view of the floor of a swimming pool, me puffing and panting, drowning, not really swimming, and being surrounded by these these eucalyptus leaves, which got me thinking. Yep. To, to carry the, the thought, uh, I was reading Metamorphosis by Ovid, who wrote down and interpreted and expanded on traditional Greco-Roman mythology in his time. The collection, the most famous collection, is called Metamorphosis. And in Metamorphosis, there's lots of these wild tales, full stop, and there are lots of stories about, well, horrible... (laughs) There's a lot of, yeah, really horrible stories, and often it, it involves a completely innocent bystander, beautiful woman being pursued by... The voyeur, um, the voyeur, Apollo, Zeus, you name it. And these women, or the objects of, which is objects of their desire. And often other gods took pity on these these women and transformed them into different trees, laurel tree, etc. And these trees took on the, the attributes of these women um, in their lives. And I liked that because it's brilliant. But too, I, I enjoyed it because it's kind of reverse personification, which is something that I like to do in my songs, to, to attribute human attributes to objects or yeah. to nature. But this is kind of flipping, you know? Mm-hmm. And I wanted to kind of mythologize the, the woman that I had in my head when I was away swimming in LA, the person that I'd left behind foolishly. Yeah. And I, I thought that, yeah, it's my turn to try to make my own kind of mythology, if you will. And in a lot of ways, I was as incompetent as Apollo and Zeus in those stories, and she was the wise one that I should have spent more time listening to. So this was my go at kind of yeah making my own mythology and, and trying to memorialize mem- memorialize <laughs> her. And I, uh, yeah, and I think that's it. 
coming back to this idea of some of my best work, why you feel it is some of your best work. Is it because you perfected that intersection of mythology, songwriting, the personal, that, as you say, the eucalyptus leaves that are in a place that's not home but feels like home? Yeah, it's 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 all that. Um, it's also the music. I did like a, when I demoed it, Originally, I, I made a MIDI string arrangement, and then my friend Ryan Ritchie went in this when it was time to record it up at the Grove in New South Wales with Scott Horscroft producing. Um, Ryan Ritchie, who's a great composer and string arranger, helped me flesh that idea out and wrote an arrangement, a very sympathetic arrangement. Perhaps the majesty of a string of the, the strings gets me. You know, maybe that's mm. it. Maybe I'm just a bit of a I'm just flattered by the string treatment. But mm-hmm. I, th- I don't think that's just it. But it's certainly some of it. Musically, there's this thing that I do. I'll whip the capo off so I can talk about the notes more. Yes. Um, so, like, when you're playing a G chord, it's based around this G thing. When you play a G chord, generally there's this note in it here, which is a D, right? It goes like this. And there's your D. But um, if you flatten that D and you play the note, the semitone down, and a semitone is just a fret on a guitar or on a keyboard, it's just a key. I guess it's a D flat or a C sharp. And that note there doesn't really belong in the chord, as you could say, right? Mm -hmm. And even if you're not a musician, most probably especially if you're not a musician, you hear that and you want it to resolve. Your your body wants it to go, Mm -hmm. right? Mm So it's based around that idea that that tension and release in the in the guitar part. Um. Right. Yep. So. I think that's kind of a bit clever, and I don't often allow myself to play the guitar. I think of the the guitar as a tool. I don't treat it very well, a tool that I use to, to write songs, because I care about songs and I don't care about the guitar. Mm-hmm. Clever guitar playing is a bit of an eye roll for me, so I don't really allow myself to do it, and I should do it more, because along with the eye roll comes all these other emotions that, yep. <laughs> that a great guitar playing can provide. Yep. And so this is like one of the few kind of nice bits of music that I've written and yeah. I think I think that kind of that is part of the recipe as to why I think it's some of my best work. Just coming back to when you say you were working with Scott and you're in New South Wales so even in terms of, of a timeline and and how long it took to sort of do the record or particularly work out this song? Oh, I did it real quick I think I um I did it quick I would have just recorded that guitar yep. and I think I sung it first take we recorded the strings, which took as long as the song takes to listen to. You yeah. know, string players don't need a second go, the good yeah. ones. So it's not, I, I think it's a series of first takes. It's not like, it's not a live performance. Yeah. But it came, to, it came together quick, and I think that's because it had stuck around for like four years. I knew it kind of intimately by that stage. Yes. And so what's it like to now sort of move forward and write new material is it that a song like this that you deem as some of your best work as something that you always try to take going forward Mm -hmm. yeah you got to take care of the the good ones and my way of doing that right or wrong is by not trying to compete with it Mm -hmm. giving it some space so I've 
I don't want to try to do it again. Yeah. It's informed me. It's informed my work in that I've set some kind of bar in regards to a quality of work. I suppose. I think the lyric writing is strong for me. Musically, it's strong for, for me. It just seems to be like a comfortable song for me. Like if I'm having a bad show, this is a song I'll play to get myself back in. Like it's, I feel like it's very much a part of me. It's kind of I'm bound to it. Yeah, I've never tried to recreate it. In fact, I've intentionally avoided doing that. In terms of what the songs come to mean to your fans, have you had many of them directly contact you to tell you what they think or do people write to you? It's Sometimes yeah. they do. No one's ever written to me with, you know, um, any kind of noteworthy experience, but it's mm-hmm. always a song that people listen to. You know, it's a song I can play if the crowd is getting a bit boisterous, too loud for me to be able to hear myself singing I'll, I'll play this and usually, everyone usually listens. Mm. It's my little magic trick or whatever. Yep. Um, so there is a, I can tell that people care about it or maybe they're just responding to the fact that they can tell that I care about it and <laughs> they're being polite. <laughs> maybe a little bit of both. When I think about this song being some of my best work, it, that implies that, that you, there is a collection of work that is not your best work and everything can't be your best work, mm. just naturally, right? But in in order t- to have best work, you've got to support it with all the other stuff too. Mm-hmm. So when I think about this song, I, I feel glad that I've put something down on tape that I feel represents me well and is some of my best work. And, and it kind of, I feel kind of relieved and it allows me to just keep working. But for me personally, it when I play that song, I, I think about the person that I wrote it about. I think about my time in LA. I think about the, the light in LA in the way that the light looked at the, in the bottom of that pool. I mean, I don't know how personal you want to get about who the song's about, but were you in a relationship with this person for a long time or are you still friends? Yeah, no, not, not really in touch anymore. Um, that's cool. I think that's that's smart, you know. <laughs> yeah, I was in, like, at that point, the most important relationship that I'd ever been in. Okay. And it was, like, a long time for me. And, yeah, I took poor care of it and kind of it was an exciting time for me to... I was travelling a lot and didn't really want to be um, bound, you know. But that's kind of back to the song. It's like the, the lyric in the chorus is take the length of your love Lady Eucalyptus, tie me to your trunk, Lady Eucalyptus. So it's like a request to be bound, mm. you know, to like tie me to your trunk. Like I don't want to, I don't want to go anywhere. Help me fix this kind of thing. Fortunately, when I think about when the way this, this in the way that this song leads me to her, it's 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 a positive thing. In terms of literature, also informing a lot of what you do, and I mean, how much time do you do you pour over discovering something that just came before us? You know. I spend a lot of time doing that. I suppose I'm a bit of a researcher and have a, a reverence for the past and an interest in the in the people that came before me. I mean, my entire creative output is, is based around admiration for, for others and, mm-hmm. and kind of imitating it, but understanding that those imitations will always they'll always be my you know my versions of their songs. Fortunately, <laughs> I'm not good enough at copying. You know, yeah, I'm a poor forger. 
And in terms of those 60s influences, the strings and, yeah, maybe just tell us a little about the sonic side of that. And as you say, strings, if you've, get it, if you've got a great player, can just do it. Well, yeah, it, it, it's my ticket to be in that gang, to, to be like I'm letting the door of, of, of that world and that, that world of song, the majesty of those 60s recordings and is something that takes my breath away. And it's not just the strings, it's the, it's the writing and such. But again, like I said before, like I feel like I'm just a bit of a fan trying to stick around, kind of getting the string treatment. It's kind of like, I don't know, dressing up like your favourite rock star or pop star or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, I know how to do that. I know how to be in the gang. And if I, um, if I listen to it from the next room and, and it's a bit, you know, it's a bit muffled, I can kind of almost imagine that I'm... Scott Walker <laughs> or, yep. Yep. you know, et al. It's very intentional. I'm trying to place myself in that world. What about when you sing those lyrics? I mean, you kind of look at what you've written and go, that's pretty bloody good <laughs> um, in relation to that. Scenario. Yeah, I, there's one lyric I think is pretty good. And I think it's more I just think, I'm not sure if I think that the lyric is good or I just like where it leads my mind, which is, the lyric, you know, for a song that was inspired in a swimming pool across the mm. uh, other side of the world, um, across the Pacific Ocean, there's this lyric then in it that says, that sings, <laughs> um, I swam the Great Canal and I cast my fears aside. I had to learn to love the view from the other side. Whenever you speak lyrics, they never sound as grand as they do when, you, when they're sung. You want to play? You can sing it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, why not? Maybe, yeah. I'll see how bad it is. <laughs> okay, so I'm in a different key, but that's probably good because it's early. I swam the Great Canal. I cast my fears aside. I had to learn to love the view from the other side. Yeah, so take the length of your love. All that stuff. But I liked that because it represented where I was at, you know. I had to remove myself and then deal with what I've done. I had to learn to love the view from the other side. And, and did you did you no, learn that? You, of you? course not. <laughs> no. And it's a lesson that can't be learned. Yeah. <laughs> at least by me. Um <laughs> and I just the I think the thing about that is this idea of someone swimming the Great Canal, you know, the metaphorical Great Canal, but in a literal sense being stuck over there, you can still see you can still see where you've come from, you know? At least that's where my mind goes. And it's like, yeah. fuck, I'm over here. And I can actually still, I can see where I've come from. It's in the, it's just on the horizon over there. Yeah. What a hell, you know? Um, depending on, on how your, uh, depending on how good the view is, you know? Or the experience is blah, blah, blah. Like standing analogies is tedious. But yeah, that's where my, it leads, it leads me. And I, I think that, I think that there's a bit of I think that idea's got legs, you know. Yep. As much as I set out to mythologize this wonderful woman that I was lucky enough to have in my life or to be in her life for a little while, I didn't really achieve that because I just wrote about myself in the end. You know. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about it. It's like, gosh damn it, this is about me. I've done it again. <laughs> <laughs> as much as um, I like to think that 
this is about this woman or the lady eucalyptus, if you will. Mm. Unfortunately, it's just mostly about me. Yep. Classic. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you. Pleasure, Jane. Alex Gow unknowingly writing about himself in the song Lady Eucalyptus. I'm your host, Jane Rocker. Get me on Twitter at jbirdrocker or Instagram at janerocker underscore. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review. Great guests ahead include Cram from Spiderbait, Vicar and Linda Bull, DZ Deathrays, Katie Steele and more. Thanks for listening. Editing and production by Courtney Carthy at The Mushroom Group. Our theme song is written and performed by Mark D'Angelo from Backlot Studios. Artwork for the show courtesy of Mushroom Creative House. Our executive producer is Matt Gadinsky. Legal assistance from Ben Strong and Kate Fury. Music